severely messed Artists like their boots are torn to shreds The government will spoil your hopes and dreams By offering a useless retreat and scheme There's such amazing talent, why can't you see That the government has decimated the industry And now the years of hard work have been thrown away Just get a real job And welcome to Just Get A Real Job, the podcast where we speak to emerging creatives and creatives alike from across the creative industries. I am, of course, your host, Jamie McKinley. If you are a new listener, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. And if you're a returning listener, well, you kind of know the score, but thank you, as always, for returning and listening again and, and for all your support over the last 70 episodes. Yes, this is the 70th episode of Just Get A Real Job, which is quite mad, actually, how you know quickly the last 50 months have went. But I'm very, very proud of what we've been making and, and the conversation we've been putting out have just all been brilliant. And, you know, as, as I've said many times in the podcast, I'm very, very grateful to be doing this. And I'm really, really proud of the, of the work Elliot's put in as well. He works so hard the edit on this so I know I say this every week but genuinely a massive shout out to Elliot for, for his continued hard work but anyway this week's episode is a really really good one and it's actually quite a special one because not only are this week's guest a brilliantly talented writer but they're also a very dear friend of mine and joining us on the podcast this week is Noemi Stefan. And Noemi, I'm very sorry if I've said your second name wrong. I've known you for two years and I feel like I should know how to pronounce that. But you know what I'm like. You know I'm terrible with names. But I actually just got off the phone with Noemi. We had a nice catch up for about an hour. Because we haven't spoken since we properly spoken over the phone since I think we recorded this episode, which was in December. So we had a really, really nice catch up, which is quite fitting that we had the catch up the day before this episode comes out. But we had a really, really nice chat. This episode was really, really fun to record. Me and Noemi actually attempted to record this episode last August. And it, we, we tried to do it and we did it in real life when she was over here in Scotland. It was in a real life one. And we were both just so awkward for some reason. It just was like a really forced conversation. So she sort of said to me, let's just do it again. Let's not put that one out. And I was like, you know what, Leah, we'll do it again. But obviously recording a conversation again, you, you sometimes maybe worry, will it be forced? But it wasn't at all. It was a brilliant conversation. It felt very natural, even though we did the second one over Zoom. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Noemi talked about lots of interesting things, including, you know, how she sort of writes what she knows, which is the title of this episode. Noemi tends to write a lot of autobiographical things in her work. She talked about imposter syndrome. She talked about her journey as a creative. She talked about working as an assistant director in theatre for many years. There's lots and lots of interesting things in this episode. I'm sure you're going to love it. As I say, a real honour to record it. And this episode is also coming out on International Women's Day. You know, we're very proud on this podcast to have had some incredibly talented female creatives on and it's very fitting to have someone like Noemi on today to, to mark that day and as I said on this day last year as well I just want to give my mum a special shout out as well because you know it's International Women's Day and she has been such an inspiration to me in my life and making me the best man I can be I guess so yeah a massive shout out to my mum yeah I think that's everything in today's intro we're going to keep the links last week if you listen to that you'll know that we sort of discussed very briefly again I know it's not a very nice subject but I think it's a very necessary subject we discussed the ongoing war on Ukraine that, that Putin is raging on the Ukrainian people and this week once again in the podcast there's links to a number of causes that are going to help displaced innocent Ukrainians as they flee this horrible war and so if you can afford to donate be sure to have a wee look under the podcast for those links we'll be donating this month's patron to that as well so thank you to, to anyone that's sort of got involved with that it's a very necessary cause but anyway without much further ado it's episode 70 with writer Noemi Stefan. 
Hello, Noemi. How are you doing? It's lovely to see you. I'm good. It's lovely to see you too. Oh man, it's been ages. It's been like I think when did you leave Edinburgh? Like two months ago. Yeah. Oh man, it feels like longer. Back. Yeah, it does. It was. I mean, it was weird anyway, was it? Yeah, no. Anyway, I hope you're good. I miss you, man. I'll be. I'm glad we can sort of do this podcast to catch up. But you know, it's not the same as real life, is it? It's just a, a sneak. It's like a, a reason, a pretend reason to just have a chat. <laughs> I know we were like, we're not going to catch up. We're going to catch up after we recorded this episode so we could actually like make this feel all, you know, nice and, and authentic. And official. Yeah, and okay. official. Yeah. We tried to record this in August. We tried to record an episode and we both, I don't know what happened, but we were both just too self-conscious about it. And it's the only time that's ever happened. We were both just like, do you want to just do that again? Yeah, it was very uncomfortable. I, I guess I was really nervous about it and I just had a lot to drink. In like a half hour. <laughs> I think we'd both like we're drinking a bit fast and like I don't even know what happened because it was I went I listened to some of it back before this and it's not even a bad interview. I think we're both just a bit it just feels a, we're both I don't know maybe a little bit awkward but I don't know why. I think it got a bit gloomy quite early on. Yeah we, we were just <laughs> in this like negative mind space slagging off yeah. schools and work conditions and I know <laughs> it was just before you were away off to do your play which was obviously really successful but at the time you weren't sure if like how it was going to pan out and I hadn't got my new job yet so we were both like you know a little bit maybe not as in a good place as we are now so maybe that was partly it as well I think we were in limbo a little bit yeah and worried there was a lot there was a lot of worrying going on we were in anxiety limbo I think that's a good way (laughs) but anyway Noemi it's lovely to finally have you on the podcast I know I've been saying for ages that I was going to have you on and you know we've been doing this for over a year now so I'm keeping my promise finally and this time this episode's going to happen right (laughs) (laughs) and obviously as the listeners will have seen on the episode title you're of course a writer of plays and you know screenplays and and lots of other things but like I suppose before I get into it like how would you describe yourself as a creative person? Yeah I think a writer probably is is the most accurate. I don't know I've done loads of different things so I've I'm just coming into sort of finding myself as a writer I guess and I also call myself a screenwriter now, although nothing I've written has ever really been filmed apart from like a short film. But it's still what I do. So I don't know, a playwright, a writer, something in between. Yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll have that. We'll have. But you have done lots of things, which we'll, we will get into throughout this episode. But obviously, as as we asked last time, this is the first time I've ever done this twice. But you know what's a good thing is I actually can't even remember because we were drinking what your answers even were and like what I was even saying because I didn't listen. Me to the neither. Thing, but... That's so scary. <laughs> I have no idea what. <laughs> I said if, if I said something that's better than what I say now can you please just copy paste it in <laughs> no 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 that's not how this would work no to be fair I deliberately didn't listen back to too much of that interview because I wanted it to feel fresh as well but no Amy we obviously like to start the podcast by asking all our guests like what are your earliest sort of creative memories I was really really worried you were gonna ask that because I listened to some of your episodes and I was like shit he always asks that I don't know I really don't know the best thing I could come up with with when I was thinking about it before is that I was very much into vampires as a kid and I knew they were from stories but I still sort of believed they were real and I remember being in this limbo of somehow wanting the story to be true and putting out garlic against <laughs> the vampires that's what you did at your, taking... your Halloween party as well though you did that yeah Halloween. yeah I've, I'm, I've gotten used to putting out garlic and I don't really know whether it should attract the existence of vampires or <laughs> whether it should like keep them away <laughs> But I remember sort of 
liking the mix between reality and story and that that sort of intrigued me maybe that might be an earliest creative memory so so was that sort of as a child you were just really interested in this sort of folklore story almost yeah and I think into that space where stories that are obviously stories and reality or overlap yeah 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 and I think as a kid you do a lot of make-believe things and you pretend to be in a story that you might have read and I think that's something that I'm still quite intrigued by maybe if that makes sense yeah definitely and like obviously we'll come on to talk about the sort of writing you do specifically but in a lot of your work that sort of blend between stories and reality is quite apparent as well isn't it yeah I guess I think I've forgotten about that for a while and now doing the masters the screenwriting masters that you were on as well I think I sort of discovered that that was a tool that I could use to find material and to to develop stories and stuff yeah absolutely because I think that was actually something that we sort of bonded over became quite you know we got on because we were both writers that really like delved into our real experiences in real lives and I think we both understood why we did that and and probably found it quite funny because I don't think it was when we were at uni I don't think a lot of other people were sort of doing that and me and you were always like yeah this is quite close to the bone so we kind of maybe treated it a bit more personally or carefully than when we were giving feedback to each other than maybe other people might have understood I think so yeah also I think whenever I try to do something else I failed horribly <laughs> like I, whenever I tried to do like a concept or some something that I thought was really interesting intellectually it was like nah don't get it I don't understand it emotionally I can't do it yeah well that's not che- always the cheaters we just <laughs> yeah we, we were could... cheating all the time <laughs> that's why I've retired <laughs> yeah well for now anyway we'll, well see. you haven't retired quite yet we'll see what happens we'll see what happens but obviously as well is sort of that being your earliest creative memory and stuff the other question we obviously start the podcast on and I feel like I don't know why I need to tell you that because you listened you had to come you came and watched the live one we did you were like my helper for that you stood in for Elliot that day so you, you already know that I asked these questions but obviously we ask our guests about how where they're from has influenced them and obviously you're there right now Switzerland this is where you're from and that's now where you live again so like how did that sort of affect you as a creative person growing up I think there's two things to, that I want to say to this okay. one is that Switzerland is very safe and can be quite boring and feel very yeah like threateningly boring when you're a teenager <laughs> yeah so it makes you want to escape in some way and it makes you maybe dream about stuff that's more interesting than than what's happening to you so that might have been one reason why I was drawn to to fictional things but the other thing that I'm maybe using more now is that I found out when I was also when I was a teenager that my dad wasn't my biological dad and I found out that I had this whole other family in Mexico and so that then also influenced me in a way maybe more internally of like telling stories about families and cultural differences and trying to find out where you're from and how that can be sort of a a driving force behind wanting to tell stories and wanting to find out stuff about yourself and then trying to make them maybe not universal but a little bit less private than they are when they start out. It's actually a really interesting answer what you said about like well, obviously both things are interesting, but I'll start with the, the, I'll start unpacking the boredom thing first, because obviously, again, that's another thing we sort of related to quite a lot, because when I was growing up in my hometown, it was a similar thing of feeling quite bored and wanting to escape. But like, what was it about Switzerland, do you think, that was so boring for you or the part of Switzerland you were in and stuff? Was it just not much to do creatively or were you just just a bit like dull? I'm going to sound like an absolute prick here, but <laughs> it's to do with the privilege as well. Mm. 
because you're being given loads of opportunities and there's like really nothing to complain about but because you're given everything there's something I don't know there's I feel like there's some some part of creativity that Mm. comes with having to find your niche and having to find the way for your art or whatever to be made and and it's just so easy here or it was I feel like everything was handed to me somehow on a platter and I think that's not good I mean I don't want to I don't want to say anything against funding because funding is great and we want it but for me especially it was extremely easy and then it sort of lost I don't know importance does, mm. does that make sense I'm rambling no 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 I, I get what you mean and it, it's one of those difficult things I feel like I feel kind of sorry because sorry for you in the sense that like it's almost impossible it's a hard thing to talk about because you you feel you I imagine you probably feel quite self-conscious saying like I was you know it was very privileged therefore like you know because you're not saying it was a struggle in that way I kind of get what you're saying almost that like sometimes a lot of creative people feel that they they get their creativity from a struggle in their life almost or they're able to draw yeah. on, str- on real struggle to feel creative Is that and I think what- that's where it that where it, that's where it touches on the other question you asked before or the other answer I gave is that as soon as I had this problem of my family sort of falling apart and being difficult to deal with it was much easier and that's such a ridiculous thing to say but it was actually it felt like oh now I have something to say and now I have something that I can find out and deal with whereas before it was like okay I'm living in this suburb it's all very nice um it doesn't uh, does it almost sort of feel like it's away from reality almost like you're sort of in this detached bubble if if that makes sense yeah and then you're being given opportunities and I for example I felt like I wasn't doing the most of it I was like being given opportunities but I I didn't really have something to to say Mm. so it felt like wasted (laughs) really self-deprecating but yeah no but there was also probably that pressure as well then I imagine I guess, yeah. I guess there's a pressure, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm not trying to make this sound too much like a therapy <laughs> session and unpack your, <laughs> your early life. We're just back to the old <laughs> the old <laughs> version of the interview. No, no, not at all. But the stuff about your having, like, turned out your, you know, your real dad's from Mexico and stuff like that, I imagine that must have been quite a, a shock at that age to find out. Or was it also quite exciting, as you sort of said? No, at that moment, it was mainly a shock. And it made me really angry. And it's really weird. It's a weird thing to happen to a person because you, I think knowing who your parents are is like one of those things that are just a given. You don't really question that. Yeah. So it sort of pulls the carpet underneath your feet away. You know, it's like, it's very destabilizing. And I only started to find it interesting, like in my early 20s. And before that, I didn't really want anything to do with it. And I didn't want to find out who that man was. And I didn't want to see anything. And I refused to learn Spanish, even though it was like my major in school. Mm -hmm. I was learning Swedish from a little book in Spanish class because I really didn't want to learn Spanish. Do you remember any Swedish phrases from that time? I think I can say at Integulsnö which I think means don't eat yellow snow. Okay, fair enough. Well, so that's, that, that's all I remember. <laughs> no, thank you for opening up about that sort of uh, personal stuff as well. I appreciate that you, you talking about that on this. And that actually segues as nicely talking about words and things you're, you know, in another language, because obviously the next question about task is about your favorite word. And if you do have a favorite word, a phrase from, from Switzerland where you grew up. So to segue as nicely, what would your favorite word be? From Switzerland. In Swiss German. And just whatever. It could be anything. I think it's probably Muderik. And Muderik is like a feeling. It's it's I think it's something that we're all feeling at the moment, being inside a lot. It's when you're you're not really sick, you're not really sad, like everything is fine, but it's also sort of shitty. Yeah. What well, how do you say Muderik? Muderik. Muderik. Like that? Pretty kind much, of? yeah. Pretty much. I, I like feel more like with that. the ooh. It's not ooh. <laughs> 
I feel like you, you said pretty much in a, no, not really, but I'm going to let you have that. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt that. Muderic. I'm not even going to try that Muderic. again. Muderic. I can't yeah, do it. Yeah, it's fine. It's okay. I'm, I'm so bad. Might you'd, understand you. <laughs> you'd seen me attempt Leo's second name before several times. I just can't do it. I'm just really bad at pronouncing <laughs> names and, and speaking other languages. I'm terrible at it. But it sort of means like I sort of, I would maybe describe that in Scottish. The word I would use for that is just feeling a bit like, ugh, um, a bit like, Drink it just a bit like ugh, you know what I mean? Maybe, yeah. Or do or whatever, like, you know, just feeling a bit like grey. Like you're a little bit unhappy, a little bit like you don't really feel at ease. Yeah. And you're probably at home being grumpy. <laughs> despite sounds, the world. That sounds like the last <laughs> few days, no Amy, because Yeah, it sounds like as, the last two years, does it? <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously just before, as I was saying, like we're recording this interview in middle de- middle of December 2021. And like in the UK, like the new COVID wave is just starting to sweep our shores just before Christmas. And everyone feels exactly as the word you're describing. That's how we all feel right now. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good That's word. Maybe why it's on my mind a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also kind of going to put you on the spot here, but as some of our listeners might detect from your voice, you obviously lived in Dublin, which we'll also come on to when I ask you about your sort of creative career today. But obviously you lived in Dublin for quite a few years. So I love the way you speak English because you have a bit of an Irish twang to it. So I'm going to be a bit cheeky and ask, do you have like a favourite Irish word that you picked up when you're in Ireland? Ah, you asked me that the last time. And I, I think I was, I was just as put on the spot. I thought maybe now you might have subconsciously remembered. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I, I forgot to prepare. I don't know. Because I didn't really socialise with, like people weren't speaking Irish to me. So I think what I told you the last time and what still pops into my mind the first moment, like when you ask this question, is is Egypt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people kept calling me in Egypt for like various reasons. But that was one that I quite liked. And then I learned fancy English words from Gavin, a friend of mine I lived with, who tried to make my English more sophisticated, I guess. And he taught me stuff like discombobulated or these kinds of words. <laughs> which I then used a lot. But really Irish ones, I think it's got to be Egypt because it's just the one that is the first on my mind. I'm sorry to disappoint. No, no, it's a great one. That's not disappointing at all. It's a very good word. We'll have it. Thank you for answering that difficult question for a second time with (laughs) with excellence. Obviously, going back to your sort of teenage years, but, you know, we don't have to go into it quite as in-depth as I did before when I was getting you to open up about your trauma of being a teenager and boring Switzerland and all that, as you described it. Obviously, no offence to Switzerland at all. Noemi does say nice things about Switzerland as well we're not banging we're not slagging off Switzerland in any way this is all just you know we might as well be (laughs) teenage teenage angst yeah (laughs) but I won't ask you to go into too much this feel too much like therapy now but like as a teenager like what sort of your next steps after in school and stuff like did you think I'm going to go off and be a writer or were you like I want to be a director an actor like where was your sort of head at then I did a youth theatre when I was a kid I started when I was 11 because I I was a like a really bookish child and I was just in my room reading um, and talking to myself and my mom decided that I had to have a hobby and my mom's very active so she put me in like a volleyball team and ballet class and I I think I did like an hour each and came home crying I was like I don't want to do that I was was and am horrible at sports and then there was this youth theater group opening up just across the street from us and my mom just put me in the car and brought me there and I stayed (laughs) and I think I don't know it was very much by chance that I started doing theatre but I felt really at home there so I did that throughout my teenage years and then when I finished high school I applied to directing schools because I thought at the time that directing was the thing 
between writing and acting because I enjoyed both and I was I couldn't really choose what I wanted to do and I got in and I went to directing school in Berlin and when I was there realized that uh, directing is actually a very very different thing from both acting and writing and it wasn't really what I wanted to do but I didn't know that at the time yeah so I yeah that was my next step that that's also quite interesting because again like another thing we spoke about when we first met was because I was the exact same when I was in high school I was like either going to do history or something to do with drama because I knew I liked that and then I thought oh my god I could be like a director of stuff because I didn't know what a director was I thought that's the people who are making all these you know shows blah blah, blah. so I did I did thought like I'm gonna go off and be a director and then like you you know I was like Oh, hold on. This is de- I didn't even do directing, but I instantly knew what it, what one did, and I went, "This just is not for me." So, like, I totally get that. Like, yeah. when you, you're like, oh, "Oh, how long did it take you to realize that?" A long time, <laughs> maybe four years. I don't know. I think I did. <laughs> I did two years of directing school in Berlin, and then I stopped because I was really miserable. And then I applied to a writing school and got in and then I thought I don't know what I was thinking at the time but I think it was something along the lines of like I, w- I didn't want to be a quitter or something so I went to another directing school instead and did mm. more years of directing school that I didn't enjoy yeah and afterwards it sort of dawned on me that that might not be this the thing that I wanted to do even like I wasn't shit at it but it was just I didn't really enjoy yeah, it as much it wasn't for you especially rehearsals mm. I hate rehearsals and it was so funny because people love them and people love like the process of seeing stuff developing and like trying scenes and I was like no I hate it <laughs> did you just want to get on with the, the final thing yeah. So was this theatre directing then, or was it? Yeah, that was yeah, that was theatre directing. Mm. And you, like, when you switched uni, like, where did you go to? Did you leave Berlin to go? Where did you go back to Switzerland for a bit? Did you go somewhere else? I went to Zurich. Yeah, I went to Z- to Switzerland. I thought it was, I was really homesick as well. So I really wanted mm. to be around my friends, and I thought I would, could probably have my own. I did have a, like a small theatre company with some friends and we were putting on shows, which was nice because it was like this very collaborative thing and we were really good friends from the youth theatre group. So it was good to have that network, I guess. Yeah, but like on a more positive note as well, and obviously your career's worked out like well since and all that and you'd obviously went on to, I think anyway, become a very good writer. Thank you. And stuff. But being a director and stuff, like that was still like must have been quite a useful thing for you to do at that age, even though it didn't maybe work out as you'd maybe imagined it would when you were 17, 18. But like you'd obviously taken a lot of skills from that time. To, uh, obviously I think so, yeah. Up. I think so. It's It was, I mean, there was a lot of theoretical stuff that I read and then sort of knew. I think when we started the the masters together there was a lot of of this basic dramatic stuff that was just in my bones already like loads of the structures yeah three act five act structures all of that thing it wasn't news to me it was like stuff that I knew quite well which made it more interesting maybe then to do the masters and concentrate on like details and and develop further yeah yeah um but like after you had done the directing stuff in Berlin and then Zurich, am I correct in saying that you actually went on for a long time? You were an assistant theatre director. Like that was your sort of full-time job for ages in various places. Yeah, well, for like three years, yeah. Because I quit that last school. So I never really finished and I never really, I don't have a bachelor's degree. So I I didn't really know what I was going to do. And then a friend of mine was directing a play in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I just called him and I said, can I, do you have 
anything to do for me there because I need to get out of my flat and I'm, I don't know what to do and I just need to do something and he was like yeah I mean you can be an assistant director if you want but we don't have any money and you can just come along and I did that and then met people there who hired me to do like a full year of assistant directing and from that it sort of developed mm. and probably as with everything in, in in like the kinds of jobs that we do it's very much like a people yeah absolutely thing. like you just you're being dragged along if, if people like you they will include you in stuff and that's exactly what happened to me for like three years and then I was yeah. like oh wait I don't want to be a director so why am I still assistant directing yeah I, that's not leading anywhere and that's why I stopped in the end but but again like the directing you're getting all these skills from it and you met all these people doing it and you understood how theater yeah. worked so it was obviously a positive but very quickly actually I think it might be interesting if you quickly it just sort of explained what an assistant theater director actually does just so for people listening and maybe are interested in that because it's a bit different to like a, an assistant director in film and tv totally different. yeah I yeah i think it really depends or it did in my experience really depend on the director and how much they want to include include you so you do loads of there's a lot of organizing like you have rehearsal schedules and stuff that you put together and you adjust them and you call the actors and you tell them when they have to be where which is for me was the dry and boring part that's the stuff that I didn't really enjoy doing that much but then also you're like the first one in the rehearsal space and the last one to leave you're sort of preparing everything and cleaning clearing everything away um, and then the stuff that I found really interesting was just being present when somebody's directing yeah and depending on who that person is it can be so interesting and it was so so I did learn a lot from that just watching people direct and see their different approaches and some of them were discussing stuff with me and some weren't but I mean still you can even if there's somebody who doesn't really want your opinion you can still learn like passively somehow from what they're doing and how actors are reacting to it and how they're using music how they're using the space and everything yeah so you get I think me, that was quite, yeah. quite nice so you get a bit more I think you get a bit more creative input as an assistant director in theatre than you probably do as an assistant director in a film or tv set I guess I guess I mean you can you can also be completely banned from rehearsals yeah. like if, if a director doesn't like you he'll, he'll just send you away to do copies or something which mm -hmm. happened to me as well but also there's people who just really want your opinion and then you you get to discuss the rehearsal process with them which is really really cool I think. Yeah, a bit more exciting. And you're starting out, yeah. Yeah, but you were you were also an assistant before we get into your writing stuff in a minute. You were also an assistant director in like in Dublin. That's why you were there for a bit, wasn't it? Yeah, I was. That was actually after I think after my first two assistant jobs in Germany, and I wasn't hired like for a whole period of time it was just one piece and then I I knew that was coming to an end and I was sort of desperate for a new job and I remember this uh, theater company that I'd seen a play of a few years prior and I called them pretty much and I said hi uh, I want to <laughs> no I think I emailed them and I said I I was interested in like learning from them and they should let me know if they take interns or whatever and they called me a few days after and said, um, yeah, you can come by tomorrow. And I remember being in Germany and going like, yeah, maybe in two weeks. And they were like, okay, fine. See you then. Bye-bye. Yeah. And then I sort of had to decide whether I wanted to go to Dublin for like, I don't know. I mean, they were paying me, but they were paying me like expense. It, was, it wasn't really money that you could live off. 
but I did it anyway. And I, yeah, that's, that's how I, how I got there. That's how you ended up in Dublin. And obviously after that sort of stint and stuff, when you're assistant director, when did you just, because obviously I know you were always quite interested in writing it throughout all that as well. And you always were, you know, had ideas. Yeah. But when did you first sort of think, I'd quite like to give the writing a go as like my thing now. Was it like a moment that that sunk in fully or was that just sort of a slow burn almost that was actually not my decision at all it would i come across as really passive do i it's like people no, tell no, me to no, go no. and do theater no, no. <laughs> no i remember i was approached by a swiss film director who had just finished her master's at the time and she said that she realized that she wasn't really a writer and she needed somebody or she wanted to collaborate with somebody who would write for her mm-hmm. and um, she knew because I don't know we had mutual like we knew the same people or something I, I don't really remember but she knew of me and she contacted me and then we ended up doing a short film together which I wrote and then afterwards, she asked me whether I had anything else that we could probably work on. And I put together this very short synopsis for a screenplay that I'm actually working at now. And we had, we sent it into a contest and we won like a lot of money with this one page thing. And that was, I mean, that was a great thing, but it was also like a huge pressure because I didn't know anything yeah. about screenwriting Cause, at cause all. You, you felt quite un, like quite new to the craft and you had no expectation of suddenly going from like being someone who's maybe, oh, give this a try to suddenly being like, you have all this money to develop this thing. Do you know what I mean? That's so quite, weird, yeah. Quite a big jump, isn't it? Yeah, because usually people- And then you end up pretending. <laughs> you go well, like, oh yeah, I'm a screenwriter now. But, but yeah, that's totally fair because a, a lot of the time, especially like have, now working in TV development and stuff, like most- people that you work with most writers that get their things commissioned usually have to have had at least a couple of credits or you know have an agent or whatever but you'd obviously just went that is quite so that is quite a lot of pressure to get I imagine yeah I also felt like an imposter because I'd written like a good pitch page but there was nothing behind it it was just like a fancy pitch page and I think that's one of the reasons or I know I don't think I know it that was one of the reasons why I was really wanted to do this master's that we did because I felt such a need for information and just wanted to learn about the craft of screenwriting because I just it's similar to theatre of course and but, but there were so many things that I didn't know I didn't even know how to format anything and yeah yeah so I was quite hungry for for that yeah before I come on to to the screenwriting course we both did and and how we met and all that how long was the sort of period from you getting that money to develop this film to like you deciding I'm going to go into a master's to learn this was there other writing projects in between that yeah you're gonna make me cry that was like seven years no wait <laughs> it was um <laughs> no it was actually I think it was I think we got that money in 2014 and yeah. then I sort of just I I mean I wrote a treatment which I had to do in the course over the course of a year in order to be paid and I did write it and I did hand it in and they were like yeah this is very discombobulated so you gone in you getting that word in <laughs> no so it was a bit messy and I wanted to rewrite it but I didn't know how and I got the more I mean we got into workshops and stuff and we did some really cool things myself and the director we we got onto really nice programs but I think the more I workshopped it the more confused it got because there were so many other voices and it was like this classic situation of too many cooks and it was somewhere in between that process where I started applying to to um, screenwriting masters because I thought I need I need some help yeah and that project's still in development now isn't it yeah it's actually yeah it's doing a step now (laughs) which is crazy because it's been like what (laughs) no don't even tell me I don't even want (laughs) to 
it's I literally going to shoot myself. But I don't think that's a negative, Noemi, because again, in TV development, you have projects that are there for years. Like the Queen's Gambit was in development for like, what, 20 years, 12, you know, 15 years. And that went on to be like this incredible show. I think that just shows people that like, you know, this is a slow moving industry sometimes and, you know, things don't yeah. disappear. Especially compared to theatre when you have like eight weeks, Zach, it's out and then next. And it's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what that's what made it hard to digest maybe that I was like realising yeah. this is slow. <laughs> Hello, it's Jamie here. You may have heard this advert several times before, but if not, this is basically just me taking a minute to remind you guys that if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a number of things you can do to help us keep growing. Now, as many of you might be aware, the podcasting landscape is incredibly saturated. And I mean, there's lots of podcasts. We all love podcasts. But it's very difficult for independent podcasts like us to sometimes break through and to be noticed. So doing things like sharing us on social media, word of mouth, and just telling friends and family to listen, or even leaving us a little five-star review on places like Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts go so far in helping us to keep growing. Me and Elliot adore this podcast. We love making this podcast. So if you're able to help in any way by doing something like that, we'd be incredibly grateful. Not just for our podcast, but if you love any independent podcast, please try and give them a wee share or give them a review because it, it goes so far. Another thing you can do if you enjoy the podcast as well, and we appreciate that this is a very difficult time, but if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to help us, you can donate as little or as much as you like to our Patreon page, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash job, or you can click the link in the show notes. Anything you can afford, we are very grateful for. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the rest of today's episode. But before I sort of before we go on to talk about your recent successful run you had with your play, and then I ask some sort of more specific questions about your writing process and all that sort of thing. Obviously, I think it, you know it's a good time now to talk about the the masters you did and how we met and stuff. So obviously, you moved to Edinburgh to do that. You did it over two years. I did it over one year. But you moved yeah. to Edinburgh to do it in like 2019. So again, like you'd you'd been moving around a lot of countries. So like, what was it like to sort of come to Edinburgh, and what was the decision to? to choose here the decision was uh, i had i mean i'd applied to the school in zurich and i didn't get in and then i was like ah fuck <laughs> what am i gonna do now uh, because I, I was really determined to to get more of an education and i was quite self-conscious about not having a bachelor's degree and i thought it was probably because of that and blah 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 and then i talked to a friend who did a playwriting master's in Edinburgh. And he said, well, he knew that there was a screenwriting master's as well. And he gave me the email address of our tutor, of James. Yeah. And I emailed him and I said, look, I, I think I'm capable to do this master's, but I don't have a bachelor's degree. And is there any way I could, you know, maybe send in more references and more pieces of work? And he let me do that. And that's how I came to Edinburgh. It was, I didn't even like apply anywhere else because it made sense to me that this was just, they were being so nice to me. And it just, it was like, yes, it's like a yeah. great chance and I'll take it. And I had this horrible interview with James. I don't know whether I told you about this. <laughs> you think you'd mentioned it before, but it mustn't have not been that, that was, horrible because you got in. Did I tell you about the interview? I mean, you can, it's up to you. Do you want to talk about it? No, it's fun. It's a fun story. Go, go do it then. Because I, I was working on a on a boat that summer and we did a, the, the interview was on Skype. That was all before Zoom. 
<laughs> before the zoom days before the zoom days and we had guests on the boat so i knew it was going to be a bit of a tight scheduling situation but then our motor died like in the middle of the lake and i had to dive around the boat to see whether there was anything stuck like in the pipes from the outside and then i had to like do the same thing from the inside and try and figure out what happened so when i was finally able to call james i was not only like an hour late but i was covered in oil and completely like drenched like black like oil soaking wet black oil seawater and i was like on the on the roof of the boat and i was like i'm so sorry we had this this uh, emergency on the boat and he's like oh it's an actual boat i thought it was a metaphor it's like no it's not a metaphor <laughs> that, just, so, that, yeah. that, that would be more on brand for that would be a very writer thing to do though wouldn't it to for somebody to make a metaphor about a boat not actually be in the water submerged you know in amongst it yeah no i was very serious <laughs> <laughs> it was a literal boat um, it was a literal boat yeah yeah and of course the boat one of our first conversations because the boat was called the Jura, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It and was. we one of our first ever conversations was was in a pub when we first met. And you told me that I told you that one of my favorite whiskeys was a Jura. And you told me the name of your boat was a Jura. And we had we shared a Jura whiskey when we first ever met and talked about pulp. Do you remember that? I do remember that. <laughs> and I also I remember it being a very good excuse to drink Jura whiskeys many times. Yeah. And, we, like, and we, kept, we kept to it up. <laughs> anyway, every time it's like, cheers to, to the boat, Jura. <laughs> no, it's like, getting on nostalgic. It was only like two years ago. It feels like so long ago because of the last yeah. sort of what we'd all been through in the pandemic and stuff. And um, obviously that you were in doing the course for two years. So that, um, that must have been a very fun time doing the, the MA in screenwriting at Screen Academy Scotland because obviously you're getting to learn all this stuff to then help you with your, your screenwriting journey to get this long development show further along <laughs> and learn other skills. Yeah, no, that was nice. I think it was also nice because I, for me, it came at a time when I was so curious and so, so eager to learn. And I had, I'd never felt that way before. I was always in schools and I was like, people were giving me information and I was sort of digesting all this information, but I, I wasn't, I was passive in a way. And I think when I came to Scotland, I had all these questions and I was just, whenever there was any, like in all the lectures, I was like, yes, but what about this? And what about that? And I know this already, but give me the other information. And I think that was for me, at least that was a really good way to learn. I'm not very good at like just taking in a lot of information and reading loads of books no you you, um, you need to practically feel like you're engaging and, and sort of doing something almost like yourself while learning yeah yeah there, ha- there has to be a need for <laughs> for for this well I think there was and, and obviously well I mean I'm speaking for myself but I, I had I had a good time on that course and I think we you know it was fun getting to do it with people like you and I enjoyed it yeah no it's a great course and I think I mean it I still think it's mad that people do it in one year because it was it's so much work <laughs> it was yeah you I saw mean, me. I was stressed out doing it in two years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, you know, yeah. we live and learn. It was it was worth the stress, I hope. No, it definitely was, yeah. was. Definitely was. But going on from, from the Masters, and obviously last time, but when you moved back to Switzerland in the summer, and I've, I've seen you since, so I know it went well, but you, you sort of left Scotland in August, and you'd basically had two weeks to write yeah. a play, which you were getting paid quite well to do, and put on, or put on a show back in Switzerland. So do you want to talk about that play and what it was about yeah. and how it went and stuff? I Yeah, I mean, I did I did just, before we started recording, try and uh, translate the title and it came up with the wonderful Bridge on Wheels, which is quite <laughs> sad. No, but I was asked, there's this new series of plays at a theatre that my a friend of mine uh, took over this year. And they, they're doing a series of plays that are written for 
about the region that the theatre is in and with stories from there and sort of for the people there. It's, it's this very local approach. And I was given the topic of the tram, which is apparently the longest tram route in Europe and obviously for everybody who lives in that what, what's town. The re- what's the region called just in case anyone can you know because we have a few listeners in Switzerland um, hopefully be listening to this. It's a very messy region so this town is called Dornach and it's in Solothurn mm-hmm. but this is very close to Basel so the thing that's special about the tram is that it crosses loads of cantons and connects all of these little parts of Solothurn yeah. and yeah I mean that's that's what I think what they wanted to, to focus on that it's very scattered and everybody has to take this tram to get into the city and people sort of loathe it but they also have loads of stories with on the tram and a friend of mine told me a story about him growing up there and they would take a six pack of beers and like board a train and then go to the whole other like the other end of it having drunk all these beers and then like vandalize the other town and take the tram back so there were loads of these small stories that I thought were quite nice and that's what I started out with like I guess like anecdotes from people from the region that were sort of connected to the tram in a way yeah yeah then it went on to to become something quite like I thought really 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 nice actually it became a big well there was this whole other thing because I'd collected all of these anecdotes and I was still worried that it was it was sort of lacking a backbone a little bit it was very anecdotal quite funny-ish but there was nothing really there was no narrative engine that are good enough for maybe there was but there was also no agency there was like nothing it was it was standing for it was like why are we telling this story i don't know because somebody told me to it was like Mm. and then i proofread a friend of mine's phd which was about how people with dementia care for themselves like how what strategies they have to deal with becoming forgetful more and more Mm. and i thought that was really really interesting and one part of it was people playing detective in their own lives like waking up somewhere not knowing where they are why they're there when it is like what time in their life and like piecing together these little clues details from their surroundings and it's like oh there's a newspaper there's a date on it okay cool so it's um the 12th of april where am i i'm on a tram there's this little screen that tells me where we're going how am i dressed where might i have come from and i thought that was really really interesting that then became the protagonist so it was somebody who wakes up on the tram doesn't know why he's there doesn't know where he's going then meets a stranger who knows weird stuff about him and then it becomes a little bit black mirror-y I guess in because I've read about like there's loads of things that are being tried and tested with people with dementia because people are getting older there's more older older people and more people with dementia there's this village in holland i think it's like a whole fake village for dementia patients like a fake bus station where there's never a bus coming like nurses are dressed up as it's like the truman show that's really interesting um, though. Kind yeah, of creep, kind of kind of a bit creepy, but also kind of nice. I don't know. I can see the like I can yeah. see why that would be helpful though. Yeah. Yeah, me too. But I think what was really interesting then in the PhD and then the text my my friend wrote is that there's like this question of dignity, like and this question of consent. Are you asked if you want to live in a village like that? Yeah. You might just be put there by some family members who don't know how to deal with you. And that that was one of the biggest questions I think they had is how can I live with dignity like how can I be respected and obviously we all know probably or we can all imagine that people start talking to you differently as soon as they know that you forget stuff they treat you like you're a little bit dumb or and that was a big question for for all of these people that my friend talked to and that 
that was one of the big questions in my play in the end is like how can you live dignified when you have to ask for help or when you have when you need help how can you do that in a way that is still doesn't compromise your integrity as a as a human being as a person yeah i think yeah. that yeah and that was sort and of that the, made it more interesting <laughs> the central the central question of your play i'm not going to yeah. ask get you to spoil the play because i feel like you might one day be able to translate it into English and put it on somewhere in the UK, or also you might continue. You know, do you think you'll put it on again somewhere in Switzerland? Because it did go very well. You got you it got extended. Yeah, it's got extended. Back. Oh, great! Yeah, it's coming back. No, we got. Um, I think we got three more shows because it was sold out, and then and it's coming back now in April, which is really nice. Very good. Considering Obviously, I had ten days to write. It. <laughs> yeah. un- unfortunately, it's in German, so I can't enjoy it. Yeah. In that way, and but you know, maybe we can translate it one day. Who knows? Maybe you can give that a go, so I can watch it. <laughs> if I have some time over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not not just on my accord. But I've got some quick fiery, sort of more specific questions about your writing before I start to wrap mm-hmm. things up. So the first one of these is: What would you say your sort of biggest influences on your writing are? So who do you look up to that's inspired you as a screenwriter? She's not a screenwriter, but I, I am quite a big fan of Joan Didion because of the way it sounds, like the way she writes. I I connected to that. I, I've discovered her quite late and I really, really love the way she writes. And I feel she's a very good observer of stuff. And in that way, I sort of relate, like I can sort of relate to her. And there's also this one thing that she, there's a quote of hers that I found somewhere, which I could relate to a lot as well. And I think it's it's to do with this thing that we talked about before of thinking directing is the thing in the middle and then finding out it's not at all. And she said that she wanted to be an actor and then she found out that writing was the same because it's also just make-believe, only that with writing you can do it all by yourself. And I think I can see that in the way she writes, that it's yeah. sort of, it's very empathetic. Mm. Yeah. That's a, no, that's a good answer. But if, I know I've just said we're doing quick fire questions, but you just reminded me. You also, speaking of John Didion being an actor, you have also acted as well, though, in your career, because you, you were in a film, a Swiss film, right? I was actually in three films. You were in three films. My my apologies, Naomi, you are in three films. <laughs> it's fine. That's quite a big deal, uh, though. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed doing that, but I've never had any... Like I'm not um, ambitious. That's the word. You'd had no ambition I'm, to go back to. Is that what you're trying to say? I'm not. I haven't. I've never been ambitious with acting. I enjoy it quite a lot, but I will. I will only do it if people ask me to do it. I don't. Like I. I think casting processes are something so cruel and so awful, and I would yeah. never, never, never. Like I don't. I don't want it enough to go through that. I just. That's totally fair. I like, really don't. We we have a lot of actors on this podcast and I respect them so much because that is just such a hard thing to do for a living. Not, not that what we do isn't, not that writing and script editing or whatever isn't hard to get into, but I think acting, there's so much rejection. It's such a hard industry to break oh God, into. And you're constantly so exposed. It's just... Yeah, so no, vulnerable. I, yeah. I couldn't I, handle it. <laughs> but it's nice that you sort of can dip into that as a bit of a hobby in the side or something that you just enjoy the process. Yeah. That's cool. Well, I just wanted to quickly bring that up because I totally forgot that you'd done that. But back to the quick fires. Um, my next quick fire question for you is if you could write any film or tv series that's been made in history what would it be if you could have been the person to have written it so that you, you watch a film you go i wish i'd written that what would it be i think there's two things for two different reasons i think 
the, the film that I was when I saw it, I was so impressed with the with the screenplay because it was so windy and there were so many changes and it was just so brilliantly set up. Was The Handmaiden, okay. it's a Korean film, Told me based on the still novel. Nev- still never watched yeah. that well. Oh, it's genius. And it wasn't even for the story. I I mean, I did enjoy the story, but I think it was the one film where I sat in the audience and I just thought, fuck, it's so good. And they're so, so well written. And I, I wish I could do that. Like, I wish I was so like, it was just, you could really see that it was somebody who knew so much about writing and was really, really good. Yeah. I mean, story-wise, that isn't my story. It was just, I was just impressed by the craft. And the thing that I I rewatched my favorite film yesterday, which is a documentary, and it's called The Stories We Tell, yeah. and it's by Sarah Polly. And I watched it because it has a similar, she has a similar family story to mine, and it was just, I was trying to use it for that screenplay that I'm trying to write. But it was also so much about how one can use one's life to create stories and how people are telling their own life stories and how they're fictionalizing them. And I, I think that's also a project that I would have wanted to do if it yeah. hadn't already been made. No, I, I'm just, as you were telling me that, I've just Googled that film to see because I recognize that. And I remember it's actually, I've seen, I've, I've seen it come up before and it looks fascinating and I'd love to watch it. So I'll definitely check that out. It looks great. That's a really good answer. Yeah, please do. It's great. It's such a great film. Yeah, it's a really good answer. I'm interested in the way we tell stories about our lives, about the fact that the truth about the past is often ephemeral and difficult to pin down. Well, I guess if you could start by describing mom in as much detail as possible. My memory of mom is she was a fun person at parties, that she laughed loud. Michael was a private person, and Diane was not a private person. My sort of next question is, and a lot of people listening, a lot of our listeners, and especially writers, they love to know, and I know this is maybe an annoying question because when I was a writer and people asked me, I never know what to say, but like, what's your sort of process for writing? Like, what's your schedule like? Because a lot of people like to know how you like, you know, the best way to approach writing. And there's not a right answer because everyone's different. But what would you, if you were doing a day's writing, what's your like sort of schedule? Like, what do you, what makes you sort of perform to your best, would you say? I mean, I have horrible concentration skills, like zero yeah, me, me too. S- exactly. <laughs> we discussed this many times. Yeah. And I sleep a lot. So I, I, I now have uh, the luxury of a studio, which I go to to sleep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm like the worst person to give advice. I, I do some things like that I can maybe tell people. I record people on trains and buses. I don't know, that's probably ethically controversial, but I, I do do that and I do... Audio record trans- though, right? It's not, you're not like... Avoid- audio, audio record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't put it on, on Instagram or anything. No, but I, I then often transcribe that and it helps me because then there's already something on the page mm. and usually I just take it all away again, but it's something that's already there, something that there's already somebody speaking and sometimes that helps me. Yeah. And also I'm doing loads of notes and then start to expand the notes so I have at the moment I'm writing a treatment and there's some bits that are only titles and there's a few like notes underneath like has to be about this it has to happen this and this and this and then I just go from the top and start to expand it Mm. and go back and forth if I need something to happen in the first act and I've only started writing it in a third I go back I used to hate treatments and now I think they're actually quite genius like yeah. they they're quite useful no they're so useful um, honestly I'm, yeah. we, I was the exact same because we'd when we when I used to write and when we were at uni together we used to always talk about how we loved dialogue and we loved writing dialogue 
and yeah. how he hated outlines, we hated treatments. We're the talky people. <laughs> but now, but now, like having worked, like being a script editor and seeing like professional TV series getting go, you know, being made and being on the other side of it, I'm like, they, you need a treatment, you need an outline. They're like essential because you kind of need to know where you're going, or you're just gonna crash. So it's, it'd be like driving a car but not knowing your destination. I think so. Yeah, they're quite essential. I think I've changed my opinion completely. I think so too. Yeah. Also, one last thing, I'm working with a script editor as well at the moment, and she told me. I because I did this as we talked about before. I, I did this very messy version of uh, of my last screenplay, and she said to just try and write a, a short story about what it was about in the very beginning, and that really mm. helped me tremendously. Just having this short document in prose, like not this treatment conceptual thing, but something creative and like nicely written thing. Yeah. That helped me a lot, I think. It, it might seem like a distraction, but it's actually going to help. No, because I think you discover the essence of what you were actually yeah. trying to say. So I think that's a really good idea. Well, there's lots and lots of more things I could ask you, right? But I'm going to start to like, come up for an hour. So I'm going to start to wrap up the interview. I just got a couple more questions. But my, one one of my questions for you is, and this is a very difficult one to answer, so I appreciate that. But like, what would you, we all, we can all learn from failure and we'd all failed in our careers so far, no matter what age we are, no matter what part, point of our career we're in. But what would you sort of say your biggest creative failure has been to date and what have you learned from that failure that people can maybe see a positive in i think it must be that one screenplay that we talked about because i i was talking to too many people about it and i was taking on their ideas because they were good ideas but they weren't mine and then i found myself not being able to write them because they weren't my ideas and i think yeah i think that was that felt like a big failure because in the end i had like this 130 pages script and it wasn't mine because it was filled with ideas of other people and some of them were my lovely director's ideas who were great like they were great ideas but they were directing ideas and they were too early they were they were they've come in too early in the game and and i think learning that was sort of hard because it took me such a long time but it was a good lesson in the yeah. end so sort of now you would much more like wait till later before you start getting lots and lots of different voices in your ear about something maybe is that yeah sort of, yeah but it's also it also helps if you find one person that you can trust mm. and trust not in the way that you might like them a lot but like somebody who understands what you want to do and i have that now luckily with my script editor who just forbid me to call my director <laughs> she's like don't talk to her don't she's gonna give you ideas <laughs> no that's good that's so, um, and yeah yeah that's an interesting you answer. need that person yeah no thank you for for, for for being honest about that as well just get a real job and obviously the name of the podcast is just get a real job um, and it's always really interesting for people to hear about what people's worst part-time job they'd had to work to support themselves or worst, quote, real job they'd have to do to support their art and stuff. So what, what's the worst job you'd ever had to work in your sort of creative career to date to support yourself? Gotta be the call centre, but it didn't really last that long. I, I think I lasted a half hour. Um, <laughs> I, had to sell, I had to sell a magazine called, I think it was like the Alprose or something. And it was a magazine about yodeling. And wow. I had to sell it to 80 plus year old people while they were having dinner. So everybody I called was obviously annoyed that I disturbed their dinner. And also they were really, really old and they couldn't really understand what I wanted. And it was either 
you could either take advantage of them and just sell them something really shitty that they didn't need and didn't want or you could be a nice person and not sell it to them and be fired and I think I did that for like a half hour and then I said I had to leave and they asked why and I said because my grandmother died and because that was the only thing that came to my mind as a valuable reason to leave oh no um yeah. That, that that's a good that's that's a that's a, a fair excuse i guess no i have so much respect for anyone that can work at a call center that's such a popular answer for this question is call centers there's so many people have worked on them right but i could just Gruesome. couldn't do it horrible it's just hor- so brutal so oh, brutal fair play to people that can that are good at that because it must be so destroying you know i we're, think it is yeah we were talking about actors being rejected constantly you must get rejected in a call center like like minutely like People hate you and they have such a good reason to hate you because you're just disturbing them in their private space and you're oh, it's dear. awful. Yeah. Massive shout out to all you call center workers worldwide. Well, Noemi, this has been fantastic. I have one more question for you. But like I know you'd given some great advice throughout this interview, but like what would your sort of closing advice be to anyone who wants to work in this industry but particularly wants to be a writer or an assistant theater director, which you've done before? What would you sort of say to them? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I think people already know that they are not going to earn a lot of money for a long time. And I mean, I think you need to be okay with that. That's very boring advice. But I think it's, I mean, it's something that I am getting tired of, like being poor. It's, it's, it sucks. But it's also something that's just probably the reality. And then also for writers, what helped me a lot is just telling stories orally and I think it really helps to get like your idea straight and to figure out what that backbone and what that message of it might be and I think that's probably what would help me the most just like talking to people about it and then seeing like oh okay that doesn't quite make sense and 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 then sometimes I think we went to that talk we went to a a workshop or a presentation of a of a workshop called less is more and I think that's what they were all about it was like going on hikes and and talking about your script and they said that neurologically our brain is more able to like connect the dots when we're talking than when we're writing 100 percent yeah yeah and it's so true and it helps so much to just tell, 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 tell. But I, I, at the end, at the end of the day, that, that's where screenwriting comes from. It comes from stories which we tell each other. So, you know, we're storytellers yeah. at the end of the day. So I think that's great advice for, for people that want to be writers. Like if you're able to find a network of people you trust and, and can work with and, and be able to talk about your ideas, I think that is so, so helpful. And it keeps you sane in what can be a very insane profession. And otherwise, if you don't get any, like if you don't have any friends who are willing to listen to your rambling, you can just record it. I've <laughs> I've done that as well. Record it and then transcribe it and you have something on the page. Yeah, that that helps, I think. No, that's that's brilliant advice. Oh man, it's been so nice to catch up with you, Noemi. Thank you for coming on the podcast. And this was such a different interview to the first one we attempted. Totally different questions, totally different answers. I think it's been great. Thank you. So much better. <laughs> so much more fun. Less less about the bullying. We just not talk I think this is growth. Look, we both we're both in much healthier mindsets than we were when we yes. first tried to record this interview four months ago. And we're drinking wine, not beer. Maybe that's just the better the better <laughs> interview drink. Well anyway, I hope you're great in Switzerland and cheers. You too. There you have it. That was my conversation with Noemi. 
I'd like to thank her once again for her time. It's always a joy chatting to her and I'll look forward to hopefully seeing her and Andy very soon when I eventually make over to Switzerland. I look forward to that. As always, if you want to find out a bit more about Noemi, there's links to our social medias in the show notes of the podcast. As always as well, if you'd enjoyed listening to the podcast, be sure to subscribe, be sure to follow us on social media, be sure to talk about us on social media, share the podcast, tell friends and family to listen. Word of mouth is our greatest tool to grow. We also have a Patreon page, which you would have heard in the ad break as well. There's a link to that under the show notes as well and obviously little things like rating and reviewing us all that stuff that I say every week on the podcast you know that you know the script now if you're a regular listener I say this every week in the intros and outros you'd heard it before if you're a new listener I'm sure you'll hear it all when you go back and listen to our older episodes because I'm sure you'll do that because I'm sure you'd love today's episode but anyway thank you so much for listening as always we have another brilliant conversation lined up next Tuesday with a very very talented singer-songwriter Pat Byrne um, and I'm looking forward to that one coming out so until then have a lovely week I'll be back again next Tuesday Just get a real job